Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola from clevergirlfinance.com. And on today's episode of the podcast, I'm really, really excited to share this discussion with you. Um, my guest today is Alexander Tosig. She's the Senior VP of Women Investors at Fidelity. And I met Alexandra at an event that Fidelity had hosted on women and money. And it was such an incredible event. And I loved the information that Alexandra had shared during her talk. She shared her personal story. She shared some really amazing studies that Fidelity had done on women and money. And I thought she would be an excellent guest on the podcast. And this was just an incredible conversation we had. We talked about women and money and we took a deep dive into the topic, um, the statistics around women and money, how we handle money. And Alexander actually got really open and shared her own money mistakes that she made when she was younger, um, raising her family. And so I definitely encourage you to listen to this conversation, share it with other women. This is information that you need to know. We delved into the differences between women and men when it comes to money management, being single or divorced and your finances, our confidence about money as women, the stress that we carry about debt as women. We talked about the safeguards that we can put into place for our financial futures and so much more, including why it's not a great idea to keep all of your money in cash. But before we get into this awesome episode, if you haven't stopped by Clever Girl Finance in a while, please do. I recently updated my resource library to include some brand new budgeting tools and you can get access to them by stopping by clevergirlfinance.com and subscribing. And also, if you're in that space where you need to get your finances in order and you want the accountability, you want to be surrounded by women who are going to support, encourage, and motivate you, be sure to check out my accountability program at clevergirlfinanceacademy.com. Now let's get into this amazing, amazing conversation with Alex. You guys are going to love this. Welcome to the podcast, Alexandra. I am so excited to have you on here. I can't wait for you to share your incredible knowledge with my audience. But before we dive into the whole topic on women and money, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and tell everyone who you are. Sure. Great. Thank you so much, Bola. And it's fantastic to be here. It was so great to meet you. And my name again is Alexandra Tosig. I'm Senior Vice President at Fidelity Investment. And I focus on women and investing and really helping women take control of their financial lives. I love it. And we had met at an event that Fidelity hosted for Women and Money. And after the event, I left on such a high because it touched on so many really important points that as women, we need to be aware of and we need to be working on when it comes to our finances. And I just couldn't wait to get you on the podcast. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. And thank you so much for coming to our event. It was so great to meet you. (laughs) So Fidelity did an excellent study on single women and money. And so based on this study, what would you say are the main issues that are holding single women back, specifically when it comes to their financial wellness and their success? And just to, you know, preface what I mean by single women, those are women who are not married, who are divorced, or who are living longer than their spouses. Exactly. So if we focused in on kind of all types of, of single women, to your point, Bola. And so we found three main issues holding women back. First, that they just underestimate their abilities when it comes to money, finances, and investing. So we actually did a study um, that showed women are actually better savers and investors than men if they, we don't give ourselves credit for that. The second issue holding us back is that we don't have safeguards in place. 
So things like a plan and an emergency fund. And the last issue is this idea that we have too much in cash. So we tended to have a lot more money in cash than men. And as I'm sure many of your listeners know, if you keep too much money in cash, you're not letting that money grow. You're not letting your money work as hard for you as you do for your money. Okay, so that's those are all really important points that, you know, I definitely can relate to and I get that feedback from my audience. You know, we're definitely better investors. I see that all the time. We we make more um I guess I would use the word on focused investments. We have we we make our investments based more on information that we have on hand as opposed to being a little bit more I wouldn't call guys careless, but I would say they're more aggressive and more bigger risk takers, you know, and we kind of are more conservative with our investing. So those are really, you know, things that I can relate to and also that my audience can definitely relate to. But based on, um, and I was also going to add that I'm really, really glad that there's a study that exists, um, from a base of women that Fidelity has done, because I talk about these different topics on the podcast very often, but just knowing that there are statistics out there that are supporting this is really important. So for those of you who are listening, I'll put a link to the um, report that Fidelity created so that you can check it out and you may be able to relate to some or maybe even all of the content in the study. So Alexandra, I wanted to now ask you, based on your experience and based on you know working with the study, what are the key differences or similarities that this study showcases for women who have never been married versus those who have experienced a divorce versus those who have lost a spouse? How are they, how are they, what are the major differences between these three different groups of women? Oh, terrific. And before I even jump into that, I just want to comment on the point you just made about women being better investors. And I'm going to send you that study as well. And it talks about kind of why we are better investors and the point you made where women tend to have a plan and stick to that plan. So we tend to hold investments longer. There's this Warren Buffett book that I am always quoting. It's not actually by Warren Buffett, but it's called Warren Buffett invests like a girl and why you should too. And it's that idea that we tend to ride out. Yeah, I know. I love it. We ride out the market. So, um, so anyway, and so that, that was just, I just wanted to jump on to your point there. And then in terms of what we found between single, never married women, divorced women, and widowed women, what we found are those three things holding women back, the uh, underestimating our ability, no safe or, or lack of safeguards, and too much cash. Those tend to be the most prevalent in the single, never married group. Okay, and then what we found in the divorce group was really interesting to me. So, you know, divorce, my mother's been divorced twice. This is a very hard thing to go through, all right? However, what we saw in the divorce women we surveyed was that those who had come through the divorce, you know, and it was hard to come through it. They had to cut back on their um, spending you know, change their lifestyle. But those who had come through it were actually feeling quite confident. So it was a hard thing to go through. But when they got through it, they felt more confident and kind of stable financially. And then the third piece was on the widowed women. So what widowed women told us was, first of all, they, they were feeling pretty good. Okay. And so what I want to say here is what's interesting is we hear from our clients all the time who are going through divorce and, and losing spouses. And so our survey actually, you know, seemed 
a little bit more optimistic than I would say than, than you know what we're always hearing from clients. But so that was kind of interesting in and of itself. But from widowed women, what we heard was they were very anxious to kind of share the lessons they had learned. I would say. And I would say um, among the three groups, single, never married, divorced, and widowed, the widowed were by far the most confident. And I think what made them that way, Bola, is that they had really done a lot of planning with their spouse together, all right? They developed a plan. They had worked on that plan. And then when the spouse passed away, I think they were in a good position and actually felt even more confident that, okay, they worked on this plan. The plan had worked. You know, that the spouse had passed oh, passed away, and so now they were kind of confident managing the money on their own. That's really, really interesting just to, you know, hear you break it down that way. And for the women who are single, never married, so Alexander, I guess I, I want to ask if you agree with me. So I'm thinking that for women who have never been married, right, the fact that they underestimate their ability in terms of what they can do with their finances or what they can accomplish with their money, could do you think it's possibly tied to background? So for instance, me personally, I come from a background where... Um, my dad was the primary breadwinner. I know that a lot of women who listen to this podcast come from that traditional background, not all of them, but some of them where, you know, where we were kind of thought to think, okay, the man is the head of the household. He manages the money. And this just goes back to the way society was. Obviously that's changing a lot because in this day and age, tons of women are head of household, primary breadwinners, um, higher income earner. But just going back to, where we're coming from as a society historically, it typically was the guy who was a breadwinner. So you think that ties into women who have never been married underestimating their ability with their money? Yes, I absolutely do, Bola. So that is kind of what, you know, I think that's a lot of what's getting in women's way is this society because we we grew up. So one statistic that I love to share is women are much more comfortable talking to their doctors about um, health than they are talking to a financial professional, okay? So we are just not comfortable talking about money, and that kind of goes back to this idea that it was a taboo subject, money was a male thing to be dealt with. And so, like, the fact that, you know, you and I are talking about this, we're doing studies, that is kind of the first step to kind of break this cycle, and to your point, the other the other piece of it is that women are making a lot more money, so we need to get them investing their money because they do they work so hard, and we want this money to grow and be there for them. But it's absolutely to your point. Historically, society, you know, this was something that was a taboo topic that women weren't supposed to talk about, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's why what what's ended up happening is. We like to say the financial services industry was created by men for men. And we at Fidelity, along with people like Ebola, are committed to changing that, kind of talking to women about money in a way that they can relate to. And then the other piece we always say is to be where women are. So on your podcast, you know, in publications they read, at the workplace. So those are all the kinds of things that we're doing and I'm you're doing to, you know, stop that cycle and turn it around so women invest and so they can have the lives that they've dreamed of. Mm -hmm. And so 
regarding the divorced women, I would also say that um, I guess they're more confident by money. I'd, I'd assume this. I'll assume that they're more confident about money because it's when you get divorced, it's either it's a sink or swim situation, right? You don't have any other options. You have to get yourself back on your feet. Um, well, it's a choice, but I'm assuming most women want to get themselves back on their feet so that they can start pursuing their goals, you know, that they had before the whole divorce situation. So I'm assuming that being going through that whole process and then figuring out on your own gives you that confidence around your mind. Exactly. Exactly. It gives you it kind of you're forced to take the reins and that's what these divorced women do. And I mean, believe me, they're not saying, oh, it was really easy to get through it. They're saying it was really hard to get through it. But once they come out the other end of that and start, like, as we think about divorce, we've done a lot of research. There's kind of the kind of planning and thinking about it. Mm -hmm. There's the going through it. And then the third phase is the rebuilding phase. So by the time they get to the rebuilding phase and start to get through that, that's when they're feeling much more confident. But the the early, the, the two first phases, the planning and going through it are really difficult. And now that I think about it, I actually have a few friends who are divorced. And for those of you listening, you know, sometimes divorce can come across as a taboo topic, but it happens. It's one in two marriages. Um, it's just the world that we live in today. Divorce happens and it shouldn't be something to be shy or embarrassed to talk about. But I do have a couple of divorced friends and whenever we have conversations about money, they talk about how difficult it was for them getting past their situation, um, you know, and being able to create a plan around standing on their two feet and supporting their kids, et cetera. But they do have that level of confidence that you talk about, um, Alexandra. They've, you know, I can, I can definitely see it in them when I talk to them. Yeah. And I would say, um, we get just to jump in here. So we have a, um, I keep giving you more resources. We did a fantastic podcast or, um, or webcast that we can, um, send you the link to Bola. And it, it's got a, a therapist on it, a, a, a therapist, a fidelity financial person and a legal person. And what we always say is that divorce is not just a legal thing. It's an emotional thing and it's a financial thing. And you kind of have to look at those things holistically. And so, for example, like staying in the family house, for example, mm -hmm. you know, if that's, if, 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 you know, if that's a scenario, well, that's like a very emotional decision, but it's also really a financial decision. So kind of how do you negotiate those different pieces to make it all work for you, if you will? And I just wanted to make a comment about what you said about um, financial services being created by men. And that's a lot of why nothing against men and those guys, those husbands and brothers and boyfriends who are listening. Hey, <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing against men. But that's part of why I started Clever World Finance, because I felt like there weren't very many relatable financial education, financial service companies that that spoke to me as a woman and how I deal with my money emotionally and how I, you know, just basically dealing with finances as a woman. And I really love the fact that Fidelity has recognized this. And that event was, so for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, I attended this event that Fidelity hosted for around women and money. And I just, I love the fact that it was an all woman crowd. Um, the executives who are talking about money, 
we're all female and you guys shared your personal experiences, you know, experiences with divorce and elderly parents and children. And the fact that your company has recognized that is really important. That's something that a lot of financial service companies need to start recognizing because it's, you can't create financial services and slap some pink on it and say, Hey, finance for women, especially given the fact that like you stated, we are better investors. We are earning more money than ever before. You know, these are really, really important factors. And so there's definitely a need um, for financial services catered specifically to women. I'm glad that your company is doing that. Well, I'm glad that you're doing this, Bola, <laughs> as well. And it's a whole kind of coalition and partnership. And it's exactly what you said. Like, that's what we're doing as well. It's Money is incredibly personal and incredibly emotional, and it's all about our stories and talking about it in a human, real way. It's not, like we like to say, it's not about alpha and beta and ETFs and ROIs. That's not what it's about. It's like, can I take care of my, I I know I talked about this at the event, can I take care of my 86-year-old mother who broke her hip? Can I put my three boys through college? Like, that's what it's all about. And I think that's what you and I and, and mm-hmm. we're trying to do is is bring that to people. And that's what money is. It's, it's inspiring your future and your dreams and enabling those to, to take place. And um, the, the other thing I just want to add here is, you know, as we think about men, though, like men, what I like to say is they're completely part of this solution. So all the men listening out there, thank yes. you. Okay. And <laughs> what I always say to men is, A, you know, like many, I think it's it's easier for women to say, like, I don't get this. What are my questions? Like, I think it's a, for our society, it's a little harder for men to say that. So first of all, men should just know, like, they may have the same questions and the same concerns, and that's completely fine. I think whatever we're building for women could very well work for men. And then the other thing I always like to say is, like, we need men to be talking to their wives and girlfriends and daughters and mothers and sisters and to be spreading this message and to make sure to say, hey, make sure you're in your financial front seat. You know, don't let the the women you love kind of take a back seat because chances are they are going to be single, divorced, or widowed. And you don't want that to be the time when all of a sudden they need to understand what's going on with themselves financially. That is so important, so critical. I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I always tell, you know, the women I work with and even on this podcast, don't wait, initiate the conversation. Don't wait for them to have it with you. You start to have it and it doesn't have to be a huge production. It can be just casual conversations that you have over time, every few weeks, you know, in your relationship, but start to initiate the conversation, especially if it's not something that's happening in your relationship. You guys are not talking about money because sometimes, you know, assumptions can impact communication. And once you guys are able to talk about your finances together, then you kind of see see things from each other's perspectives and that's how your guide that's how the men become part of this solution so i heard this fantastic story this guy was telling me today and he said that his wife when when they moved in together before they got married um they were started to living together she pulled out her computer and said like we need to have this, this start having the financial conversation and she said what do you make and he just it's kind of taken aback but they started comparing what they made and their debt and their assets and, you know, how they were going to split their expenses. And I said, oh my gosh, that is so fantastic. So A, she initiated that conversation and B, they started having that conversation before they got married. I think that's really important because I've heard about couples who actually get married 
and then don't realize like, you know, one couple, one part of the couple has like a huge amount of debt or a huge amount of student loans. Not to say you wouldn't still want to marry them, but you just want to kind of come financially clean. And it's also a really good idea to kind of talk about how you are with money and what your financial goals are as you're entering into a long-term partnership. Yeah, that's so important. And just, you know, to add on a story, I was at a Starbucks the other day and I was listening in kind of eavesdropping, I'm sorry, <laughs> to, to a conversation that two ladies were, ha- were having. Uh, and one of them was talking to her friend about how her daughter was going through a divorce and they didn't have any assets. And so the big situation that they were having was that they were trying to divvy up the debt and it was very um, stressful for her daughter because a lot of the debt her daughter did not realize that he had brought into the marriage. And I was thinking, oh, wow, you know, like that's so to what you said, it's important to have those conversations. Right. Exactly. So just as you know, that kind of takes us into the next question I had for you in terms of the differences between men and women. So what do you find, and based on the study as well, what do you find are some of the biggest financial worries women have versus their male counterparts? Okay, so the interesting thing is women and men's top list of financial worries, it's exactly the same. Their first um, uh, largest worry is how do I live comfortably in retirement? Second is how do I pay down debt and, and save for the future? And the third is how am I going to be able to pay my bills if I'm faced with a job loss? So the interesting thing, though, is that women are quite a bit more worried about all of these than men. So 33% of women are concerned about living comfortably in retirement versus 25% of men. It kind of goes down the list. And I would say that's, you know, that's a specific finding. But in general, Bola, women do worry more about money than men. And I think this kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier Mm-hmm. Because we've kind of been brought up to not pay as much attention to men, to not pay as much attention as men about money, and to talk, not to talk about money, that all feeds into this increasing our worry and stress about money. And I do, like, I'm so glad we're having this conversation because I do think the beginning of it all and kind of, you know, getting a solution to this is starting to talk about it. And as Bola said, at that event, it was just very symptomatic of what we see. Whenever we bring women together in a room and start talking about money, it's like all of a sudden, like the shackles are, are off <laughs> and people are just so thrilled. Like they can ask questions and they can talk about it because to your point, it's been such a taboo subject. So it's, it's really great to, to get women talking and, um, you know, seeing that this is absolutely something that they are more than capable of doing. Mm-hmm. So I poll my audience pretty often, and I know that one of the major issues that my audience is dealing with is paying off debt, being in debt, student loan debt, credit card debt, other kinds of debt. That's like a huge issue for them. It's top on the list for a, a large portion of my audience. And at the event, um, there was a presentation on, you know, the positives and negatives of money that men and women have. And one of the things that stood out to me was that was around debt. So both men and women considered debt as a negative, not necessarily a positive. But I love the fact that you guys delved into the fact that women 
carry a ton more stress about debt than men do. And that stress impacts their health and even their performance at work, depending on the severity of what their debt is. But, you know, we carry being in debt from an emotional perspective, more so than men. For a guy, it's just like, okay, well, there's this debt. I'm going to make a plan to pay it off. But for us, it becomes this whole emotional thing. And I love that you guys highlighted that because when I talk to the women in my audience, I see that. And it was like, you know, when you guys are talking about it, I was like, I see this every single day when I talk to women. I see the stress and the burden they feel from um, carrying debt. And then I talk to my male friends who have student loans, who have incredible amounts of student loans or maybe even high credit card balances. And they was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to pay that off by 20, 2018, by 2020. And it's just very matter of factly. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. But you're exactly right, Bola. Like that study we did, and we can link to that one as well. But essentially, to your point, getting into debt is one of the most negative life events that can happen across all different dimensions of your life. So, you know, stress, your career, et cetera. And then that paying off debt is like one of the most positive life events that you can do. And I mean, frankly, to your point, I mean, when my husband and I, I mean, we had a lot of credit card debt. We had a ton of student loan debt. And like, as we kind of pulled ourselves out of that debt and it took us a long time, it was amazing. And frankly, we really never got into debt again, but like it was years and years. And I look back and I'm like, I don't know how we did it, frankly, because there was, I mean, it was when we had young kids too. So we still had the student loans. We had the, I think by that time we were done with the credit cards, but it's there's a lot of stress there. And you're right. Women feel it more than men. And so whatever you can to get yourself out of debt and keep yourself out of debt, it's going to make really, really reduce your stress level. Yeah. So, you know, getting out of debt and steps to paying off your debt is something that I talk about, ladies, for those of you who are listening. And you also want to work on your mindset and thinking positively and understanding that you do have the capability to do this. You can pay off your debt. You can build wealth, but you have to first, you know, manage your emotion. And that starts in your head. It's the way you think about things. It's the way you talk about things. And it's just telling yourself and that you can do this and surrounding yourself with the right people. Um, so thank you so much for that, Alex. And so. Given all these different factors that we just talked about, what core safeguards can women put in place to ensure that they are financially secure going into the future, whether they have debt, whether they have spare money to invest? What are some things that, you know, from your point of view and given your experience um, that women need to be doing now to safeguard their, their future? So first, first, I would say, is the emergency fund, okay? So the amount of stress that will reduce to three to six months essential expenses is huge. I would say there's almost nothing else that is good as that, okay? Um, second of all, for those of your listeners who have a 401k or a 403b or a retirement plan at work, please contribute to that. Often your employer will match that. And I love those vehicles because you, you, that's, a, that's a perfect example of you don't even see that money, okay? It comes right out of your paycheck before you see it. It goes to work for you in an investment. And what I always like to say to women is you don't think of yourself as an investor. Well, if you're in a 401k or 403b, chances are that's probably going into a target date fund. So you are an investor. And then the third thing I would say, Bola, is 
to have a plan or start thinking about developing a plan. All right. And this does not have to be some long 100 page document. It can be pretty simple where you say, what are my short term goals, my midterm goals, my long term goals, whether that's buying a car, buying a condo, buying a house. You know, I have three boys, so I need to get those boys through college. Um, you know, my husband and I would like to retire. So kind of what are those goals? How much are you saving and how are you investing? And then when, you know, when, when, you know, my, my oldest is actually a sophomore in college. My, my middle guy is going to college. So, and then I've got a 13 year old. So when do I need to get those boys to college? Mm-hmm. All excellent points. And I talk about the Eve month a lot <laughs> and I'm always telling my ladies, you know, the clever girls in this tribe, I'm always telling them it's important that you, like you said, it's the essentials. It's the must haves, your shelter, your transportation, your food. It's not getting your nails done or getting your hair done or the vacation. You know, this is like, if you need it to survive for the next six months without a job, this is the, the money that's going to carry you through. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. And 401k, I can testify <laughs> because when I was working full time, when I first started working, I didn't understand what it was to max out. I didn't, you know, but I knew that my employer was offering me free money and I took mm-hmm. it. And that was part of what helped me um, save $100,000 in the first three years after I graduated college. And then once I got more educated on my 401k, I maxed it out every single year. And I can tell you that it was so worth it because I've accumulated a bunch of money that I've rolled into an IRA now. And it just gives me that level of financial security, financial peace of mind, knowing that I have money somewhere, you know. And- oh my gosh, you saved a hundred thousand dollars in your first three years of working, Bola? Yes. <laughs> oh my word, that is amazing. I am so impressed, I can't even tell you. And you're exactly right. That 401k, I hate to say it, but it's kind of like magic. It's like if you can max out, and especially because uh, I met Bola and I know she's a lot younger than I am, and it's like by putting the money, by saving in your 20s and 30s, like that money has so long to grow. So the more you can do younger, it's like compounding is going to do all that work for you. And you need to put less and less in there. But the more you put in there, the more it can grow. That is so true because I started working in Clever Girl Finance full time. Um, a year ago. And so I don't have the luxury of, you know, an employer match um, anymore. I still contribute to my IRAs, but, you know, things are different. And even on the slower months for me in my business where I'm not contributing as much, I still see um, the report saying that this is how much your money earned from earned for you. And that's without me doing not very much at all. So you're going to get to a point where when you accumulate money, given the fact that the power of compounding is real, your money is going to be making money for you while you sleep. (laughs) Exactly. And that's what we always say. Make your money work as hard for you as you do for it. And like, I love the fact that you're, you've all that work and savings and investing you did that's enabled you to kind of follow your dreams and follow your passion with clever girl finance. So it's just a, it's a beautiful story. So I'm thrilled for you. Thank you. And then just one last thing I wanted to mention about what you said is, you know, a lot of times um, people get caught up in the short term situation. They're trying to pay off their debt and that's all they can see. Or they're trying to save for a down payment for a house in a couple of years and that's all they can see. But I love the fact that you talked about having a plan long term. So, yes, you might be in debt right now, but 
if you're listening to this podcast, if you're trying to improve your finances, you're you're not planning to be in debt forever, right? Regardless of what your debt might be, you're working to get this debt out of your life. And so it's still important that you look outside of that immediate space and think long-term, like Alex said, you know, your kids, your retirement, where you see yourself in 10, 20, 30 years, it's important to have, start writing that down, create a highlight of what you imagine your life to be and start planning for all those things. Your kid's college, how much it's going to cost you to live in retirement every year, you know, how much it's going to cost you to take your fabulous vacations when you're debt free. It's important to put that into your plan. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Yeah. And what I would say, the way that I think about that is kind of different buckets, if you will. So we definitely had plenty of student loans while we were contributing to our 401ks, my husband and I. And I think that's important because then you get the contributions like BOLA early. They have chance to grow. And at the same time, you're working on your student loans. So you can't, you can't necessarily be single threaded. I think it's better to kind of be thinking, you know, I'm sure at that point we were paying off student loans starting to save for my kids' college and saving for retirement, as well as kind of everyday expenses. But you have to think about those different buckets. And you don't want to not be saving for retirement because you're paying off something else, because then you're going to miss all those early years of compounding that we were talking about. Yep. At least get the free money. So if you have debt, contribute enough to get the free money, then focus on aggressively getting rid of your debt, especially your high interest debt, and then come back and bulk up your contributions to your retirement savings. Yeah, exactly. So Alex, let's talk about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you could give your younger self advice about money, what would you tell Alex 20 years ago, 25 years ago? So what I would say is we all make mistakes and I've made a ton of financial mistakes. Okay. Literally, like, as I said, my husband and I, when we got married, we had so much credit card debt that we had to take our credit cards and put them in a haagen pint ice cream container and freeze them. Because the idea was if you froze them, you weren't cutting them up. So if you ever needed them, but you couldn't spend impulsively because you actually had to um, unfreeze them. So my advice to my younger self would be like, you're going to make financial mistakes. But like, I think of this as like health and exercise. Like, do I sometimes not make it to the gym? Absolutely. Do I sometimes eat dessert? Absolutely. But if you're doing the right things more than the wrong thing. So like all these things we talked about, contributing to your 401k, if you have kids, contributing to your 529 plan. If you get those things on automatic pilot, and then, you know, maybe one time you do go out and spend too much money. You go out for an expensive meal, you buy an expensive gift. As long as you're doing those right things and they're automated, you are going to come out fine and be fine. And so don't beat yourselves up over that, those, uh, those, uh, um, the mistakes because mistakes happen and we, you know, we get stronger by learning from our mistakes and moving on. I'm so glad that you talked about mistakes and forgiving yourself and taking the lessons and moving forward because I think that as women, just given the fact that we are very emotional for the most part, you know, a lot of us carry self-judgment and self-shame because we have made mistakes in the past with our money. And I've made a ton of money mistakes. I talk about them on this podcast. I talk about them on my blog. Like my handbag collection was one. You guys have heard that episode <laughs> or go find it. So <laughs> mistakes are part of life. And 
you know, one one example I like to say is even Warren Buffett, even Bill Gates, you know, even those guys have made money mistakes. Otherwise, they would never, ever lose money in business. And if you go back and look at the history of their businesses, they've lost money too. So it's take the lessons and see what you can apply from those lessons to the way you you move forward. And yes, you may slip up here and there, but then what are you going to do next? You're not going to just stay down and just be like, you know what, YOLO and go build your savings account. You're going to be like, okay, this is the mistake I made. I recognize it. Here's like, here's how I can adjust things and make things better for the future. Right. Exactly. So Alex, this has been such an incredible conversation. I do appreciate your time. But before I let you go, I want you to share what is your Clever Girl superpower? Okay, so my Clever Girl superpower is to just jump in and do it. Just learn by doing when it comes to investing. It's really like back to the financial services industry. They've tried to make it hard. It's really not that hard. We've talked about the 401k. We've talked about target defense. So just jump in and learn by doing. You can absolutely do this. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and how can folks keep in touch with you? I know you're going to, I'm going to be sharing the links to all the studies we talked about in the show notes. But if, you know, the ladies listening wanted to reach out to you or keep in touch with you, how can they do that? Sure. Okay. So a couple ways. First is fidelity.com slash front seat really talks about a lot of the topics we've talked about today, how to get in your front seat of investing. Also, definitely look for us on social media. So at Fidelity on Twitter or Fidelity Investments um, on Facebook and share your stories with us. We'd love to hear them. Awesome. Thank you so much, Alex. This has been wonderful. I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you so much. It's been really, really fun. Didn't you just love that conversation I had with Alex? I think that the topic we discussed was so important. And just the facts and statistics as women and the way we deal with money was just really good to hear it from a different perspective. So I hope you guys enjoyed listening in. And again, please, please subscribe to the podcast if you have enjoyed listening. Tell your friends about it. Let's grow our podcast audience. And you can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and also on the Clever Girl Finance YouTube channel. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back with a new episode soon.